Welcome back, book nerds. It's Angie, and on today's episode of the podcast, I will be speaking with Kelly Bennett, the author of Norman, One Amazing Goldfish. Can Norman, the amazing goldfish, overcome his stage fright? We'll find out in just a bit. Without any further delay, let's jump into the podcast. Hi there, book nerds. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Joining us today, we have Kelly Bennett. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to be here on Jean Books Nerd. Excited to share my new picture book. Oh, definitely. And can you please introduce yourself as well as uh, Norman, One Amazing Fish? Okay, my name is Kelly Bennett. I'm a children's author. Um, I am talking to you today from West Hampton Beach, New York. But um, I divide my time between here in New York and in Houston, Texas. And um, what I'd like to do is share my brand new picture book. Some of you might be familiar with my previous story called Not Norman, A Goldfish Story. Um, That book came out several years ago. And that's about a boy who wanted a pet more than anything. And when he finally got one, it was a goldfish. And at first, he did not want that fish. But then after a while, they came to be very good friends and such good friends that I got to thinking about what is a friend. And that led me to write the new book called Norman, One Amazing Goldfish. Now, I know you're listening to the words and that's what I do. I'm the author. So I make up the words and I imagine the story in my head. And that's what you can do. But if you go and you look at the book, It is completely and beautifully illustrated by Noah Z. Jones. And what's amazing is that Noah does all of the art on a computer. So if you're really good at computers and you like art, you might think about illustrating stories. To begin, the story is dedicated to two of my grandboys. I have four grandboys and they asked me, when I write, what do I try to do? And I'm going to tell you, now that I'm a grandma, I try to make those boys want to hear more and listen and laugh. And I hope you listen and laugh, too, as I read the story. And I'll begin. Norman, one amazing goldfish. Norman is one amazing goldfish, and I want everyone to know it. That's why I'm taking him to Pet-A-Rama. We have our routine all worked out. First, Norman does his tricks, circles then bubbles, then flips. And for our big finish, Norman and I learned a brand new tuba song. Hit it, Norman, I say, and begin to play. Right on cue, Norman starts dancing and singing. Add a fish, Norman, I cheer. Just wait until everyone sees you. You'll be famous. On Petorama Day, I wake up extra early. I don't want to admit it, but I am kind of nervous. Not Norman. He gobbles every bite of his breakfast. The Petorama line is super long. There are dogs, cats, birds, snakes, rabbits, and lots of other animals. Most of the kids are wearing costumes. So are their pets. I look at Norman. His orange scales glisten. You're so sparkly, you don't need a costume, do you, Norman? He shoots me a high fin. Once we're signed up, Norman and I go into the gym. Right away, we spot Ben and Dylan with their dog, Mustard. Hiya! Mustard does karate, Dylan says. What does your fish do? Lots of tricks, I say. Hey, fish, Ben calls. Show us a trick. Norman doesn't move, not even a fin flutters. Dylan and Ben laugh. Pet-a-rama is for good pets, says Ben, not fish. Norman is amazing, I tell them. You'll see. One by one by one, the judges call pets onto the stage. All the pets look good and many do tricks, but not any better than Norman. Just wait until they see our act, I whisper. We'll show them, won't we? Norman spits a mouthful of gravel. When our number is called, I carry Norman onto the stage. The gym looks really big and crowded. That nervous feeling is back again, big time. 
I glance over at Norman. Under the stage lights, his scales and fans are as sparkly as any costume. Just looking at him makes me feel better. I take a deep breath. Introducing Norman, one amazing goldfish, I announce. For our first trick, circles. Just as we practiced, I circle my finger. In the wings, a poodle in a tutu twirls. Not Norman. My mistake, I say, trying hard to keep my voice steady. Ready, set, bubbles. Bubbles, a parrot squawks. Bubbles, not Norman. He doesn't blow even one teensy blip. Come on, Norman, this is an easy one. How about a flip? One, two, three. My hands are shaking so hard I can barely manage a snap. Up. Norman hides behind his plant. I can feel everyone watching, waiting. I give Norman a look, a hard look. His fans and flippers are quivering like crazy. That's when it hits me. Norman isn't being stubborn. He has stage fright too. Oh no, poor Norman. Don't be scared, I whisper. Ignore them and watch me. Let's do this together, Norman, just like at home, okay? I take out my tuba. Hit it, Norman, I call. Then I close my eyes and give it my best. Bom, 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 I'm starting on the second section when Ben and Dylan shout, hey, everybody, look. When I open my eyes, the first thing I see is Norman. He isn't lying on the bottom of the fishbowl. He isn't hiding behind his plants either. Norman is flip-flop, wiggle-wag, dancing like crazy and singing. Then Norman performs every trick perfectly, just as we practiced. Add a fish, Norman, I cheer. The Petarama judges give Norman a prize. It's like I always say, Norman is one amazing goldfish. The end. That was lovely. I really enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners got a little sense of, I got taken back to like elementary and being told like the story time. And yeah. then this just took me right back. So I absolutely love that. And I mean, you did an amazing job. I appreciate how you were able to incorporate stage fright and that it's completely fine because I know a lot of kids get very shy, no matter what the situation may be. Well, thank you. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. I hope the kids like it too. Now you said you write a lot of your stories for your grandchildren and the inspiration behind this one was friendship. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I'm, I'm in a little confession. The first Not Norman story actually came out in 2005, 15 years ago. And as I told you before, that was really a story about, more about don't judge a book by its cover or don't judge a person that you just meet you know, sometimes we make that immediate snap judgment. And then what happens is over time, if we give people a chance, we learn that we have a lot in common and can become friends. Well, I was thinking everybody loves Norman and it's, and our little finny fish has done very well. I wanted to write another Not Norman story, but I couldn't quite figure out what story I wanted to write until recent times when I thought, you know what we need right now is friends and friendship. And maybe the one thing Norman and his friends, now that they know they're friends, it's more about what do friends do for each other? And so um, as a writer, I make a lot of lists. And one of the things I did was I wrote a long, long list brainstorming what a friend means, what being a friend means and what friends do for each other. And one thing that friends do is, number one, maybe we don't push our friends into performing if they don't want to perform, because a lot of times that happens. But also, number two, if your friend is in a difficult situation, being a friend is also supporting them and doing things together. And so really, that was um, 
when I got the idea that I really wanted to discuss friendship, um, that's when the story came together. And it did take, as I said, quite a lot of years for me to figure that out. No, definitely. And it's still, it's always a learning process, even as you continue to grow up. And I think this is a great book to help kids sort of navigate their way through their first friendships where maybe they're they want to play something but their friend doesn't and it's okay they they just have to support their friends and not necessarily push them into things they don't want to do as you were saying exactly well I'm glad that's that's what I was going for and now that I've now that I've been thinking about friendship the ideas are coming um much more quickly for new stories oh there you go we'll get another another journey with Norman maybe sometime soon I'm hoping I'm hoping on it hopefully next time you chat with me I'll be able to share some good news yes I would love that and do you have a favorite part in Norman one of amazing goldfish well I have to tell you I laugh every time the poodle in the pink tutu twirls off stage but also if you look at the pictures no, as I told you before, Noah Z. Jones, um, he did all of the art and he really, ha- he creates these amazing funny scenes in his head. So if you look at the first scene where they are being judged on stage, he has the whole audience in the background and then the three judges, including the mean judge, who's giving a number five is the score at the bottom. So really, um, my favorite part is them trying to be on stage in that silly poodle. But beyond that, the illustrations are delightful. Lots to look at. This is a good one for um, lap reading, but also for big groups, because there is a lot going on in the illustrations. I can only imagine. I mean, the story being told already is delightful, so I can't imagine what the illustrations add to it. You'll see. (laughs) And what inspired you to become a children's author? I have always been a writer. Second grade, my second grade teacher, she um, gave us black pieces of construction paper and a white crayon. So we did one of those spooky, it was probably Halloween time because it was one of those spooky pictures where the black looks like night sky and then the white shows up like shadows and spooky. And I did a spider web and I wrote a poem to go with the spider web. And that teacher, Mrs. Charles, she put my spider web up on the board and told me how wonderful it was. And all of the kids came up and read it. And I remember that that was the first time I ever thought that what I wrote down on paper would make a difference. You know, I, I had always been a reader. I read early and I liked to read, but we only had a couple books in our house. However, I've always been a writer. And it was not until I became a mom, though, and I was reading books to my kids, and um, I thought, you know, I have some stories to tell, and maybe some kids would like to read my stories, too. So that was a long time ago when my children were two years old. I have a daughter and a son. Lexi was two, and Max was four. And now they're both parents, and I have been writing 30 years That's amazing. And do you have any stories that, or books that you may have put out that hold a special place in your heart or, you know, just some of your favorite pieces of writing? Of mine? Yes. Well, I lived in Texas for a while and I wrote a book called Dance Shawl Dance that is about a Texas two-step. It was when my kids were teenagers Um, they, maybe like a lot of teenagers, really didn't want to spend much time with my husband and I. So we thought, well, we've got to do something about this. And we each put an activity in a hat that one of us would be willing to do as a family. And my mother drew one of the activities out. And if you can believe it, she drew out two-step dancing, Texas swing dancing. And so my husband and I and our two kids and friends of theirs went and took two-step lessons, and we absolutely loved it. So that story, as I was being twirled around the floor into a two-step beat, 
which is like quick, quick, slow, slow. I started thinking about writing a story about a night in a town where everybody is in the dance halls, dancing and singing and, and sharing stories. So I think Dance Y'all Dance has a special place in my heart. But I also wrote a book called Vampire Baby that's about a biting little sister because guess what I was? Mm-hmm, a biting little sister. Um, and I wrote a book, and I'll stop here, called Dad and Pop. And Dad and Pop is about a girl who has a father and a stepfather. And it's really not about how she got either of them, but that now they're a family. And the most important thing is, as different as they all may be, they each love everybody else. You can see a lot of my stories come from my life and things that have gone on and things I'm thinking about. No, that's wonderful because, I mean, a lot of people tell you to write what you know and you're able to translate these events in your life to to an, a young audience that can help them, you know, in the future and help them navigate, you know, their developing stages by reading your stories and learning all of these wonderful lessons. Thanks. I'm trying. And... Do you usually picture the illustrations while you're writing or how, do you collaborate with the illustrator? Like, were there certain things you wanted in Norman, One Amazing Goldfish that you told Noah about and he kind of incorporated it into the book? Um, that is about a three-pronged question. First of all, everybody wants to know about the illustrations. And the truth is, I never met any of my illustrators before I started, I worked with them and after a book was published. Because what happens is I write the story and then I polish it as much as I can. I send it in to my agent, or if you don't have an agent, directly to an editor. The editor is the person in the publishers who is like a teacher in a classroom. You turn your homework into a teacher, I turn my story into the editor. If you happen to have an agent, the agent turns it into the editor. And then if they like the story, we will work with them again to polish it as much as possible. And then the editor works within the publishing house with the art director to decide who's going to illustrate a book. Now they do ask me, what do you think about? Do you have ideas? Do you have a feeling for what you want? But they also, when they when the editor is looking at your story, they're imagining pictures in their head. So I do not see any of the artwork until it's already in a sketch place. So they will sketch the book out just the same way that you or I would sketch. Maybe just little pencil drawings. Some do more and some do less. That will be the first time that I ever see um, even an inkling of what the illustrations will be like. Now... As a writer, do I have any influence? Yes, because every single word in the text I put there. So I don't know if you know about Norman One Amazing Goldfish because you only listen to me read it, but the main character, that boy, he doesn't have a name in the story. We know Norman is the fish. We know the name of his friends. We know he's at Petarama, but he is not named in the story. But what is told about him is he has a tuba. And that's what I planted. So I want, and then I put some tuba music in there. So no matter what else happened, I wanted to make sure that tuba was in there. Now, I can only imagine, um, it, it is really interesting how we don't really know the name or anything about the little boy because you know at the end of the day it's like how do I explain this or how do I say this like I noticed that in a lot of children's books where you know the humans are often left unnamed and it's the animal friends that are the center of attention which they should be because they're the protagonist but it's also the representation those drawings of those kids provide. And the little boy in your, in your book is a Black boy, and it's providing this great representation for 
little black boys reading your books and they're able to see themselves in your story. And that is 100% on purpose. Um, today, I am thrilled to say that society on a whole is much more aware of the need for us to have all different children, all different people represented in our stories. But back then, back when I first um, dreamed up Not Norman, 2005, there were not very many um, children who were non of different colors. Almost the stories, as you said, there are a lot of animal characters and the children would predominantly be white or Caucasian um, mm -hmm. if the story was just a story. Well, I was, the people in my family are brown-eyed, brown-haired. My, fam my family's Portuguese. I was living in Indonesia where everybody I worked with, all of the children and all the people around me were brown-skinned. Um, and um, I would want to share stories with them. And there weren't very many stories that I could pick. And so when I wrote Not Norman on purpose, I discussed with my editor and said, I want a child with brown skin, brown eyes to see themselves in this story. And we did. And I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, and you did ask if I imagine the pictures in my head. I absolutely do. Um, it's funny because I dream, and when I dream, I often typewrite my dreams. So I'm definitely a word person, like a typewriter, and <laughs> I'm so old, really is a typewriter, will type words in my head and I will see words. But when I'm writing a story, I imagine it like a movie playing in my head. And I imagine all the scenes, and when I'm writing a picture book to begin with, I will write about 3,000 words for a story that might only end up being 300 because I will write it all. And then it's like a big iceberg and I will chip, chip, chip away at it until I'm down to just the essential part with the idea in mind that I'm going to let that illustrator fill in all of the other and then the child reader bring themselves into the story too. No, definitely. And you said you start with a larger story. So how, what's your writing process like that you are able to, you know, create this, as you said, a, like an iceberg and slowly chip away at it until you get your final product? <laughs> it is like, have you ever picked up a well, it's exactly it. It's like if you saw all the ice in your freezer melted together, but in the middle of the ice was a picture or a statue, I will lay the story out and I just keep whittle, whittle, whittling away. And I lay it out in a line and I have to get down in my mind to what is the essential story. Like for instance, with Norman One Amazing Goldfish, it was really just what happened. The basic, what, like they used to say, just the facts, ma'am. You know, this is a boy and he has a fish and he enters him into a talent contest. And then what? And because of that, and because of that, and because of that. And um, then I lay it out and I do create sketches. Um, so I will make a little dummy book. Have you ever taken pieces of blank paper, folded them in half, and um, made your own little book? Oh, definitely. And my little sister is going through that phase right now at the moment. That is exactly the same thing I do. When I get my story down, now I will walk around. I'm a, you asked my process, I'm a big thinker. So I will walk around with the story in my head, swirling and swirling and swirling until I get the nugget. Because if I don't have a real good sense of what the story is about, I can't write. But once it's in my head like a movie, I start writing it. And then not, not until it's firm do I put it on the computer. And once it's on the computer, I do print it out. I cut it up and I make it into a book. And once it's in a book, you really see how much you have. And then I just start getting rid of whatever I don't need. And I'll say to myself, this is not important. This will be in the picture. The readers know this, Kelly. Um, and I do talk to myself a lot. <laughs> it's okay. We all do. <laughs> there you go. 
Now, it's really interesting how you said you print everything out to see the, you know, physical form of the book. Yes. How, how long does it take you to go from the idea in your head to the first physical copy that you make for yourself? Mm. Oh, my gosh. It depends on the story. Um, when I find, as I told you, when I finally realized that the not Norman story was about, um, I decided I was going to do Petarama and it was going to be about stage fright. Um, I wrote, I sat down and I wrote one draft of that in one day. And then I probably worked on it for um, eight months. And then even then, so I know that's not really answering your question, but I think about a story a long time until I have it where I can write it down, but then I will revise and revise. And I also have a wonderful critique group. A critique group um, are people who are friends. They are also writers, but some are not writers. Some are good readers who will read my story and um, make comments on it. Not all of them wonderful. Um, but what happens is because I have the story in my head, what I put on paper is not always um, helping you imagine the same thing that I'm seeing. So a critique group really helps. So any of you who want to be writers, um, before you do anything with it, do find a critique group. For one thing, people do, they support each other. We help each other. And also you can, you, they can be your ear um, when you need that second and third and fifth and 12th ear. So it really helps ears and eyes. Now that's amazing advice for anyone who's looking into it. And, you know, you said sometimes the feedback isn't always wonderful, but I can only imagine that can only help you make the story better. So how, how do you handle, like, how do you handle getting not so great advice? Because I know it can always be, you know, a punch to the gut, but how do you overcome that to continue with the story? First you cry. <laughs> <laughs> then you, you go and eat a snack and then you say mean things about whoever said something about your story. Um, no. And then, um, then what ends up happening is looking actually at what people are saying. And um, what happens often is a person will make comments about your story what they're suggesting you do might not be exactly what has to happen, but they're noticing some sort of problem. So if you know that your critique group is going in with a good heart, you have to look and say, what is it that they're seeing? And what am I not getting across? Um, and what I do is I actually have a notebook and I will write down on one side, the good things they said about my story, and on the other side, the comments that they felt that I should change, any comments they made. And because what happens is often we forget the good stuff. That's the biggest thing is, is we hear people. It's so amazing how the negative will stick with us. And we'll forget that people thought they enjoyed the beginning or they liked the middle or I was a little scared right here. So I write all that good stuff down so I can look at it. And then while I'm looking at the good stuff, it makes looking at the not so nice comments better. And it also gives me that, um, that charge that I need that says, I wanna do this. I want to make it better. I want, my whole goal is for children and their adults to share my stories, to understand and share and make a connection with me, with the characters, with each other. No, yeah, that's, I don't even know how to follow up, but you gave just so much great advice. And it's true, we do cling on to, you know, all the negative things and we don't really focus on what's going good. And I think we do need to, you know, start to take a step back and, you know, create a little chart that you do and kind of balance out the positive and the negative. Exactly, exactly. And remember who we're doing it for. Um, I keep, and I am, you asked me this, but I'm just going to tell you, I actually, right now, as I'm sitting here 
talking to you, I'm in my office mm -hmm. on computer, but behind the screen on the wall are pictures of my grand boys. And they are, um, but even before I had grandchildren, I would keep pictures of children six, seven, eight years old on my wall because I want to always remember who am I writing for? My goal in writing a picture book is to help children between three and eight years old navigate the world. And um, so that gets us out of our big person head and down to what's really important. And it is the child reader. I'm, I'm helping kids, I hope, love reading. And you're inspiring them at the same time because, I mean, as you mentioned, you were inspired by the second grade to become a writer. So who maybe there's kids who really enjoy your stories and they want to do the same. Yes, and absolutely in this world. Um, we all have our stories and they're all important and getting them out there however you do. Um, and it doesn't, some people write, some people verbally tell stories, some people sing, some people are wonderful at art or gardening or computers, whatever, however we choose to share our stories is valid. And I think that's um, what we want to nurture, nurture in our young people. Absolutely. And you mentioned you have your, your grandchildren's pictures uh, in your office. Do you often tease them about the stories you're writing or are they like your first little test group about the stories you you plan to write? No, because the truth is they're just, I can, people always say, oh, my grandkids loved it or my kids loved it or my students loved it. The truth is that our kids love it if we're reading to them and I don't, we could read the newspaper. And I used to read the newspaper. <laughs> little they don't care they're happy but I have to tell you that um the two boys in this book one thing I absolutely love about being an author is in if I am writing fiction I get to name all of the characters in my book and um so in the original not Norman all of the characters in the book were my family in Tulsa and I didn't have grandchildren then I had children little kids but in the new norman um our boys friends dylan and jack are two of my grandsons and if you read the story they are not nice guys they are actually pretty mean to norman and they make fun of him and say you know what good pedoramas for good pets not fish mm -hmm. i had to ask you know, I just think I, I messed up. Um, it's it's Ben and um, Dylan in the story. Mm -hmm. I had to ask Ben and Dylan, I'd like to put you guys in the story, but are you going to be unhappy if I make you the mean guys? And um, they had a little chat. They said it was okay. And they said it was okay because in the end of the story, they turned out to be nice. So, so we have grandkid approval. I love that they're, they kind of just like sat with the idea like, well, they are mean, but you know what? They're nice in the end, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's the <laughs> character development that they enjoy. <laughs> I know. It's like, okay. But yes, but you know, little, ki um, little kids, now the real test is a child might listen to your story one time, but will they listen to it over and over and will your story be the one that they'd say again? And that's my goal. I want to write the story where they say, read it again. Oh, definitely. And with technology right now, it's very hard to get kids to uh, sit down and read or have them read with you because they want to go watch TV. Yeah, and that's, and that's, our, that's our battle. That's our, our competition there, media. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a filmmaker <laughs> myself, but I... I genuinely believe the, you know, books had a major part in me wanting to be to become a filmmaker because, you know, I would picture these stories in my head and I would want to see them on TV. So, you know, you can't have one without the other, but we also need to encourage kids to read and continue reading and just to keep creating their own stories. However, you being a filmmaker, you said it right there. You know, um, it's not and it's not or. 
it's not book or movie, book or media. It gets to be both. And especially with picture books um, or, or middle grades or whatever, there's, if a child loves a story and then they find out that it's a book, that makes them want to read the book. Oh, definitely. I do that all the time. Yeah. I, where I find where I'm watching something, I'm like, oh, that's a book. I have to go read the book now. Exactly. And it also works the other way. Whereas if they're familiar with the book and then they see a character on, you know, it becomes a film or another one is like it. So they all sort of go together. And I, I, um, I think it, the big thing is um, engaging them. Oh, definitely. Broadening their world and um, reading, reading. Now I know we're, basically saying they they both go hand in hand and you know they're both amazing platforms and media outlets but do you prefer the books or the movies I have to ask um, <laughs> you know what <laughs> I'm, I'm, I pass I totally pass <laughs> I mean, it's totally okay. I prefer the books sometimes over the movies and that's okay because sometimes, you know, the books are able to just bring something to the table that the films aren't. Well, often now, it, often a, um, a movie is sort of a window. You know, a, a book might be a huge thing, but a filmmaker is going to bring one storyline often and pull it through. So it won't be the whole book. In a picture book, it's a little bit easier because you can film an entire picture book. And then sometimes the movie adds things to it that were not in the book. So that's sort of fun too. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I think I have to say I enjoy them both. And that's a valid answer. <laughs> yeah. What kind of movies do you make? What kind of films? I'm currently a film student, so... I'm in the process of getting there, but I really hope to make, um, I really want to make a Hallmark Christmas movie that's on my bucket list. I really enjoy those. Uh And, you know, a lot of, I really enjoy the the teenage rom-coms, the coming of age stories. And um, I hope to some, sometime maybe get into programs for children because I find it hard to watch the ones that are currently out right now Uh and I want to maybe be able to bring back a little more representation that was on the screen that I grew up with and you know bring that back to children's tv because they need that representation well there you go well well, you know you said that um picture books really are coming of age stories yes they are yeah so it is I mean you and I are sort of doing the same thing. I mean, it is going from being a baby to a big kid and learning to navigate the world. Definitely. And do you, is there a message that you like to stress more than the others for children? Um, yes. And if you look at any book, I think, and it's a lot like a Hallmark movie, love and acceptance. I think that that is the heart of any good picture book in the end. Um, it is, if you think about little kids, and I and I don't really care what the story is about, what the picture book is about. In the end, the good story is going to finish with the kid saying, I'm okay, this is okay. You know, everything's not the same, things might be different, but in the end, um, it is about love and acceptance of who they are at that time. And oh. um, that's where I want to end every story I write. I think that's what little kids need. And that, shoot, not even little kids, that's what we all need. We all need love and acceptance as we make our way through. Absolutely. And if, even if you're an adult reading this to, you know, your kid or your sibling, it's always that perfect reminder to kind of just like step back and realize everything is going to be okay. Well, yep, yep. And they're navigating things for the first time. You know, this Norman, it, it's the first not Norman is about having your first friend. Um, Norman One Amazing Goldfish is about 
conquering stage fright the first time you're on stage. A lot of pictures of books are about firsts and children are experiencing things for the first time, the first time in their lives. And it's such a huge world that um, it's, it's cool that picture books can do that for them. Yeah, it provides this outlet that can help them nav- navigate this time where, you know, everyone in their family has already gone through their first time making a friend and everything. So they can kind of see another kid go through the same thing through the picture books. Exactly. It's a challenge, but it is a good work and necessary work. Oh, definitely. And as I said, you are doing amazing work helping these kids navigate these developmental stages in their lives. And, you know, my little sister, she gets shy about everything and it's okay. But you also need to know it's okay to be to go through with it. And um, I'm just rambling now, but <laughs> there you yeah. go. So, and I, I, um, I also, there is nothing like a little kid's laugh. So while you were asking what I work really hard to do, I do try to humor into my book because I think all of us in life, and we, if we can laugh, things go a little easier, but also if we can laugh, we keep our attention. You know, it stimulates us. It keeps it keeps us going. So I do try to include a laugh. And then a little secret is I try to include a little bit of scary part, a little bit of tension, get those emotions up. Um, so anyway. No, I mean, yeah, you have to keep them wanting more. And it's like, I remember being a kid, you would have that reading time in class and you would be laughing with your friends and you know, when things got a little scary, you're just like, oh no, what's going to happen next? And you all want to find out together. Exactly. That's it. Do you have any advice for aspiring writers, uh, specifically children authors who, you know, also want to create these stories for the future generations? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, the one organization that has been the most helpful for me as far as support and education is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. That's a mouthful. The, um, the uh, website is S is in society, cbwi.org. And the Society of um, Children's Writers and Illustrators is an international organization with chapters all over the world and in, and in every state and most cities with critique groups, with monthly meetings. Um, on the website is pretty much everything illustrators and writers or both need to get started in children's publishing and also contacts for people in the community because it is a vibrant, lively, helpful, supportive community. Also, the, the publishing industry is a business and... Um, there are guidelines on, on how to write a book, how to submit a book, um, or different projects, magazine, newspaper, whatever you want to write. It's a lot easier if you start out, you know, of course, we write. If you're a writer, you write. But if you choose at that point to say, I'd like to see if I can have my writing published, um, knowing some, um, some guidance along the way, what to how to do it, where to go for help is puts you miles and miles ahead in the journey. No, and it's always great to ask for help. So I hope whoever is listening and wants to, you know, is thinking about maybe publishing a children's book is able to check out the societies you provided and hopefully maybe they'll be next on here talking about their picture book. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. A lot of people have gotten their start with SCBWI. And that's, thank you for sharing that information. I know some people can be very gatekeepy and, you know, withhold that information. Well, it's, it's a lovely support. And also with chapters everywhere and the community, you know, we need friends. We're not doing this alone. It is, um, that's so much of why we write, but also why we connect is um, that feeling that we're part of a community. 
And it's it's a lovely community to be part of. Absolutely. And where can we learn more about your other books and, you know, your future project, as you were saying, you have another story for Norman in mind? Well, thank you for asking. Um, on my website, um, which is kellybennett.com, um, I have listed more about me, information about all of my books, including activities for children and read aloud opportunities. And then Norman has an advice column called Ask Norman. Um, and children can write letters to Norman. And Norman, with the um, main character's help, he um, answers every single letter. I snail mail if it is sent through the mail. And um, once a week, we publish one of those letters on my website. Um, I also, which I didn't talk to you about, Angie, was um, part of my writing journey for more than four years, more than 1,700 days in a row without a miss, I have written a poem a day um, with a friend of mine. We And it's called the Seven Minute Poetry Challenge. And so... Um, once a week, I post a poetry prompt on my website, the um, Kelly's Fish Bowl, but I also write a poem a day. And um, it's fun. It's easy. It's um, seven minutes. You know, five minutes is not enough time to write a poem. Ten minutes is too much, but seven minutes, it is a fabulous creativity starter. So please do ask readers to go and check out my website. It's kelly at kellybennett.com. Yeah, that's amazing that you're able to write a poem, you know, every day. Does it ever become difficult for you to write a poem for the day? <laughs> I didn't say they were good poems. <laughs> <laughs> that's not part of the deal. <laughs> part of writing, you know, we can write every day. Now, writing well every day might be a bigger challenge, but um, sometimes I'm writing that poem at midnight and without my glasses and should have word checked, <laughs> but um, it, I mean, should have spell checked, but uh, you know, it's fun. It's, it's um, some people do crossword puzzles. Some people do Sudoku. Some people challenge themselves putting words together in a poem. And um, that's my thing. Yeah. That's really interesting because uh, I have, I have trouble translating my thoughts into words so maybe I should go and join those poetry challenges and you know work my way up absolutely give it a try you know you come up with ideas you never thought about um we would so join this I mean it's some people doodle like I have a friend who is a visual artist and she does a make sure that she does a doodle every day it's um just keeps you fresh Keeps you, keeps you thinking, keeps me thinking. Oh, definitely. And I absolutely love that you're able to, you know, take a quick little seven minutes and just do that. And, you know, like, I don't know, I just find it inspiring that people can, you know, sit down and write every day because sometimes I'm, I just don't even know what to say at the moment. So it's always really inspiring to see authors and writers you know dedicate a moment in their daily lives to just write something well um and I will say a little bit more it's sort of like brushing your teeth there you way, go way back in the before time you first started brushing your teeth it wasn't habit but now you brush your teeth without even thinking about it I hope please tell me <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's definitely, I feel like once you get into the routine of something, it just becomes second nature to you. Exactly. I had, did miss one day. I missed <laughs> a day without a poem and um, I felt really badly about it, but it was an excused absence. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you need a break, which is okay too. Well, no, that's the thing. Um, and I think that's that's with anything mm -hmm. um, if you if you allow yourself time and and I know I'm sounding preachy right now and I do it on purpose you know <laughs> all sorts of excuses not to write um we all you know busy lives and stuff going on in the phone and then this and then that but the truth is if you want to be a writer you have to write now that is very true no excuses my uh, friend the book doctor uh, Robin Conley 
calls it button the chair, a little button. That's, that's the only way to get it done. No, definitely. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we do deserve breaks, but if you want to uh, do something, you have to make sure to do it. That's, there we go. <laughs> that's exactly it. There we there, are. There we go. We made it. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to give you a spanking, Angie, but no. No, you're good. I have, I probably needed that right now. <laughs> there we go. And where can our readers and listeners uh, purchase Norman One Amazing Goldfish? Thank you for asking. Norman One Amazing Goldfish was published by Candlewick Press. Um, as I told you, illustrated by Noah Z. Jones. And it is available anywhere books are sold. Um, anywhere. I really encourage you to think about indie, indie bookstores, your local bookstore in town, or go to bookstop.com. Dot org, um, and though that is a link where bookstop.org does support local um, independent bookstores, they get a little kickback from the proceeds, but they all are, nowadays, they are all shipping free. Some of the books are discounted, but literally Norman is available everywhere that you like to buy your books. And um, I hope you do, I hope you all, and the library. Library's got it too. So check it out. I love that. And I hope everyone is able to um, get their hands on the book because I absolutely love the reading you did for us, but I would also like to see the pictures that your illustrator provided. Oh, absolutely adorable. Wait until you see Norman and he actually is quivering in the pictures and the main character is gorgeous. Gorgeous boy who plays a tuba. Very love it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. It was a pleasure. I absolutely loved all of the advice you gave and just, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Oh, well, I have had a lovely time, as you can tell. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. I love Jean Book Nerd and I'm really happy to meet you, Angie. This has been fun. Thank you. Bye now. It was a pleasure talking to Kelly, and I hope you enjoyed listening in. Make sure to check out Kelly's website to learn more about her work and maybe even ask Norman for some advice. That's all for now. Thank you for listening in. Take it home for us, Kelly. Hi, everybody. This is Kelly Bennett, author of Norman, One Amazing Goldfish, and you're listening to me on GeneBookNerd.com.